Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 8. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that we don't have to guess what you're thinking, but we know it because we just heard it. We heard your word. We heard what you think and believe and know to be true. And so we thank you that as we open it and look at it and meditate on it, that we're not alone in this, but you, Holy Spirit, are with us. And we look forward to knowing what you have to say to us, each one of us, this morning, as we ponder it afresh. Amen. Well, two weeks ago, safe to say, I had the best cookie that I've ever had in my life. Alex Thursby, who's our new production manager over here, he brought some cookies which he'd made into the office. And I took one. And I bit into this cookie, and safe to say, it was a moment, friends. I bit into this, it was the perfect texture, flavour, it was just, oh, my world stops in this moment, eating this beautiful cookie. I almost shed a tear as the last crumb went in. It was the best cookie I've ever had. And as I'm eating it, and probably what you're thinking is one thing, what's in it? What's the ingredients? You know what it was? It was an espresso and burnt butter chocolate cookie. Ooh. <laughs> you know, when something's so good, we always know, what's in it? What are the ingredients? Why is it so good? Two weeks ago, as we opened Titus 2, we experienced and saw God's radical, over-the-top, generous love to us, his grace. And whenever you experience God's grace, it prompts you to think, what's involved in making God's grace grace? What made it be so good? What motivates God to be unconditionally loving to us? Why is he not disgusted or desensitized to what I do wrong? Why can I be confident that God's grace will not dry up. What are the ingredients? And so when we come to Titus chapter 2, which was just read to us, this is a passage, a couple of verses, that give us the ingredients, indeed the four ingredients 
that make up God's grace and why he'll always be gracious. So we're going to have a look at these four ingredients. And can I say, if you're sitting here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, come with us as we journey through these verses. And I want to show you how different Christianity is and why there's a difference in your Christian family or friends who you know. So there are four ingredients that we're going to look at in Titus chapter 3, verse 3 to 8. The first ingredient is the problem. Why is grace necessary? If we don't get this right, nothing else is going to make sense, right? So have a look. Chapter 3 of Titus, verse 3, it says this. At one time, you two were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Now, the situation is not good, is it? God's diagnosis of humanity is not positive. That's clear. But there's two kind of ways in which our diagnosis is not good. One is a passive sense and one is an active sense. Uh, Verse 3, sin has made us foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved. That sin has affected our minds. We're foolish. We, We think what is good is bad and what is bad is good. Our perceptions have been warped. We've been deceived, thinking God is robbing me. He's a killjoy. Our moral compass has been off-center. We're disobedient. We see what we shouldn't do, and we do it. And even our will, our freedom, we're enslaved. We do things all the time because we can't resist, try to crave the satisfaction that cannot be craved. But you know what word stands out to me like no other? The word we. It is very inclusive. There's an equality in Christianity that... Not some have a problem, all of us have a problem. Even Christians, even the Apostle Paul who's writing this, whether you're educated in Oxford or live in a tribe in PNG, whether you're an atheist or devoutly religious, whether you're 8 or 80, this problem of being born in sin is universal. Maybe I'll be thinking, hang on, hang on, how is this my fault? I didn't choose this. I didn't choose to be deceived or, or fooled or disobedient. I didn't ask for this. To quote Lady Gaga, I was born this way, right? And that's true. No one had to teach us to be disobedient. We're kind of good at it. This was never God's intention. He doesn't affirm this. But also, too, we're not held responsible for it. Because this sin didn't originate with us. It originated with Adam and Eve, who disobeyed God. And we inherited their corrupt nature. This broken spiritual DNA was passed on to us. And just like you're unable to remove your genetics from your body, you are unable to remove this disordered desires, this disobedient hearts, because we are stuck in it. It's almost like we need a reset, a new start. It's almost as if we need to be born Again. But there's the active sense, right? The second half of verse 3 is what we are responsible for. Because it says this, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. We all acted upon our broken nature that we're born with. 
You, you look at our lifestyle. Our lifestyle is turning people into enemies because they have something we want, envious. Malicious words aimed at people that we love. Sin destroys relationships. We receive hate and we hate one another. Now look, you might be thinking, well, no one's perfect, but surely we're not this bad. But the problem is it's our perspective. We're looking at one another at a horizontal level, right? We're thinking they're the bad people, they're the good people, and I'm probably more like them than the bad people, right? But from God's perspective looking down, we are born in sin and all act upon that on a daily basis. And though we may have forgotten what we did last month, last year, he has not. I mean, he has a record of all the things we've done, all the things we've Googled, all the things we've done, all the things we've thought, all the things. He has that record. He has not forgotten it. And when you look at the record from God's perspective, it is long. Verse 3, we lived in malice and envy, hating one another and being hated is actually an apt description when you observe our life. You know, people say, well, God helps those who help themselves. That is rubbish. Because verse 3 will prove you we cannot help ourselves. We are born in sin and we act out all the time. We are helpless, stuck, and guilty. Yesterday I was at the beach, freshwater beach. It was a glorious day yesterday, wasn't it? And as I was there at the beach, and most beaches in Sydney have lifesavers, right? Lifeguards who are there, and they're red and they're yellow. Now, think about how a lifeguard is, right? Lifesaver. When you're on the beach, you know they exist, but you don't really care about it. When do you worry, when do you notice about a lifeguard? When are they important? When you're stuck in a rip that's pulling you out to sea. Now, when it comes to most Aussies, We know that Jesus exists, but we think we're more like standing on the beach and there's Jesus. He's there. I don't really need him. But what verse 3 is saying, no, 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 when it comes to every single human, we are all in a rip, being pulled out to places we do not want to go. All of us need a lifesaver. If you don't get that, you won't get Christianity. That's the first ingredient. The second is the solution. Verse 4, but, precious word that, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, right? When Jesus came to earth, when it appeared, when God became one of us and died and rose again, he saved us, but here's the most uncomfortable word in this whole passage. He saved us not, not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. This is the biggest obstacle for people becoming a Christian, that word not. God loves us, but it has nothing to do with me. We think, oh, look, I'm not perfect, but surely there's something in me that Jesus is drawn to. Why he'd want to give his life and sacrifice to me. Surely there's something about me that God admires, respects, is impressed by, even just a little. But it's saying there, he saved us not because of the righteous things we've done. And, you know, it's interesting. Often the things that are important to us, we think God thinks are pretty good, right? 
So we think we're a good parent, we're good with our finances, we're good looking, we're a good friend. Surely God thinks the same. Uh, you know, we think we're a good person. I'm kind, I'm generous, I'm just, I stand up for others. I mean, I've been baptised, I attend church, I volunteer. But none of them impress God. He saved us not because of the righteous things we did. It is purely based on God's kindness and love that he saved us. I mean, we've titled this series, From Grace Flows Goodness. That is radically different. If this was typical religion or even secular humanism, it would look like this. I did a bit of photoshopping, right? I photoshopped the design. From goodness flows grace. That is religion, right? That is secularism, which there's a goodness within me. There's a goodness in what I'm doing, and of course God will be gracious to me. That does not work. That is not Christianity. Christianity, let's go back, from grace flows goodness. I'll tell you why it doesn't work. There's multiple reasons. Let me give you one. If you think about a good thing that we do, let's say giving money to the poor, right? We say, I'm going to give money to the poor, and surely God will be impressed by that and more likely to get to heaven, right? It's a good thing. I'll tell you why it doesn't work. If God made you, if God gave you life, energy, the will, a desire to want to do good, and the money that's in your pocket. He's given you all that, and then all of a sudden you say, hey, God, I gave money to the poor. Surely this is going to get me into heaven. You know what you're doing? You're giving back to God what he has just given to you. You're a re-gifter, in other words. <laughs> I mean, my parents, right, when they got married, they got a whole bunch of presents, and one of them was a black and white platter, which they, ugh, they didn't like, right? But they thought, you know who would like this? Sally would like that, right? They wrapped it up, Sally's birthday. They gave it to Sally, opened it up. She's like, I gave this to you for your wedding, (laughs) right? Re-gifting. And that is what we do with God, right? When we do the good things that we do, God is the one who gave them to us. We're giving them back to God. And we wonder why he's not impressed. Because we're trying to buy our way. We're trying to impress him with just re-gifts. It does not work. But at the end of the day, friends, even if you see the good things you're doing as at the heart of their regis, it is not easy to let them go. When I became a Christian, it was not so much accepting God's forgiveness. The hardest part was letting go of the good things that I clung onto that gave me a confidence. I was a good person. I'd done all these good things. Surely there was something that I saw the security in them that was going to better my chances with God. But in me becoming a Christian was letting them go and saying, they will not do what I think they will do. It's like a man who's holding on to a root over a cliff, and if he lets go, he falls, and it's not good. So he holds on to that root. That root is like the good works that we do. But there is another rope which a man brings down. That's Jesus. But to grab onto that rope, you need to let go of that root, right? And that is a scary thing. That is a scary thing. But when you cling on to Jesus, he and he alone will save. You cannot have it both ways. Let me ask you, what is it that you are holding on to that you think God is impressed by? What is on your resume of the good things you do that you think that God will accept you? Because it does not mean what you think it means. 
And can I say, when you do this, when you let go, it is liberating. Because if God loved me based on something I've done or who I was, what if that changed? Presumably, God's love would change, wouldn't it? God is not like that parent who says, yeah, I love you, but it's really based on your performance. You know, it sort of wavers depending on whether you get into the sports team or not, depending on which grades you get. No, no, no. His salvation is secure because it is not based one bit on your performance, but purely on God's kindness and mercy and grace. It is not what we have done, friends, but step into the liberation the freedom from anxiety where it's all about me and step into the confidence that comes from God's unconditional love. And there you'll experience God's grace. That's the second ingredient. The third ingredient is the means. How does it come about? Because if it's not what we've done, but something God has done, what is it that God has done? There's two parts really to this. And in the, interesting, these two parts address the two parts of the problem that we looked at the beginning. The first is in verse 5. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour. This is the work of regeneration. You know, it's interesting. Jesus died on a cross and rose again 2,000 years ago. Historical fact. How am I or you anyway linked, attached to that event, right? That's a long time ago. How, how are we connected here living in 2023 to living to that event? Notice the word in that through. He saved us through the washing, rebirth, and renewal by the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is poured into you and brings the effects of what Christ has done and unites us to him. He does so by the bringing about, by the washing and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, inside out. If we are spiritually dead, as verse 3 says, the Holy Spirit brings life to us. It is the Holy Spirit who turns our heart of stone into a heart of flesh. The Holy Spirit comes into you and washes you so much so that you become a temple where God dwells. That is the work of regeneration, the Holy Spirit. Where the Holy Spirit comes into a person, poured into you, and brings about a renewal. Right? If we're born foolish, it is only by the work of the Holy Spirit that we see the wisdom of Christ. If we are born disobedient, it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit who comes into you to realize that you're breaking the law and to repent and believe. If we are born deceived, it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit who brings light to our blindness. If we are born enslaved, it is the power of the Holy Spirit who brings out new desires, new wants, new wills, and the power to change. That change, friends, is inside out. It is such a transformation that the Bible calls it being born again. And the good news about being born again is you don't have to go back into your mum to do it, but the Holy Spirit comes into you, Right? My wife, uh, Charlotte, when she grew up in a home, they didn't really talk about Jesus, non-Christian home, but through inviting to a youth group, a friend to youth group, there she encountered Jesus. And her youth leader said, you know, Charlie, if you, if you want to become a Christian, all you have to do is ask God into your life. And there she was in her dad's property out the back of Tamworth, all by herself in an empty paddock. And there in that moment, she prayed, Jesus, 
Please forgive me. Take my life. And in that moment, she said, in that moment, she knew she was a sinner, but she experienced an overwhelming sense of peace, of forgiveness. And as she had her discman, right, listening to some Christian music, she said instantly in that moment, the songs that she knew before, those Christian songs, she knew the words came alive in that moment. Because these were not just Christian words, they were words that were her, nothing but the blood of Jesus saved her. These Christian words came alive because the Spirit was poured into her. Now, some of you have a moment like that, right? You might not have been in a paddock, but you were somewhere, right? And you know that moment we went from death to life, right? You, can, you sense it and you experience it. But for others of us, like myself, right, you can't really point to a moment. It was more gradual. This is why I love Spurgeon. He said, just because you can't point to the exact moment in which you're biologically born doesn't mean you're not alive, right? Proof that the Spirit has come into you doesn't mean you have to point to a moment. Proof that you're regenerate is that you confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. And here's the good news, friends. Verse 6, the Holy Spirit has been poured out generously, not sparingly. That's what I love the kids talk, right? It's generously. It's not you get 50% of the Holy Spirit now and later on you get 30%, 20%. No, 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 no. Every Christian who's put their trust in Jesus has the Holy Spirit. And just like, though, when you, as a baby, you're born and you grow, Christians grow. And the evidence that the Holy Spirit is in you is that growth. And sometimes you'll experience more joy at times, growth, courage. You'll bear fruit. There's been experiences of which the Holy Spirit will give you. You'll be able to use the gifts that he's given you to serve others. And it's not like you go and get more of the Holy Spirit. No, 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 friends. The Holy Spirit is getting more of you as he changes you and sanctifies you and empowers you. And this is where baptism is such a beautiful symbol of this act, where the, you get baptized. You're, it's that beautiful unity of, with Christ, washing away of sin. And that's why we get, unlike the Lord's Supper, which we have regular, you get baptized once. It's a one-hit wonder. Because you're only born again once. You're not born again and again and again. You're born again once. Sure, you may have time in the wilderness, like a prodigal son. And often say, people say, well, I've experienced that. I want to get baptized again. i tell you why you don't need to. Because even though you have may have walked away from God, he has not walked away from you. Even though you may have quenched the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has not quenched you. It is not just God the Father or God the Son is on about grace. The Holy Spirit is likewise. But there's another little thing in there, a couple of words. It's our new birth, but it's also our new status. Notice it says, having justified by his grace. What does that mean? This deals with our active sin that we've done. I mean, how is it that Jesus can say, I love you? My love for you is not going anywhere, even when you are sinning as a Christian. Because it can feel like, is he just ambivalent? Is he just sort of turning a blind eye? How can Jesus say, when I, the sin that you will do this week or next month or so, how can Jesus say, I'm actually loving you right now. My love for you is not going anywhere. How can he say that? It's because, friends, God has justified us by grace. This is 
legal term. Oh, there's, there's a legal term, which means that at that cross, there's a beautiful swap happened where Jesus took your record onto himself and in doing so, copped the punishment that you and I deserve for every sin that we have done and will do. And we get in exchange his righteousness. So friends, when we sin, we do not have to be afraid that God is angry with us because he was angry at the Lord Jesus for the sin we did. He took it. We don't have to worry about, is the sin that I'm doing held against me? No, 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 because it was held against Jesus. And when God looks at you, you are justified by grace. He sees the dazzling, perfect nature of his Son. Friends, when Jesus saves, he doesn't do it in half measures. He does it completely inside out. New birth, new status. As someone said, regeneration makes us righteous by the Holy Spirit and justification declares us righteous by Jesus Christ. Fourth and final one. What does it lead to? What's the result? I love verse 7. It says this, that we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. You know, when Jesus saves you, he saves you into something, and that is family. That's the word heirs means. I don't know if you think about your inheritance much. You know, you see, maybe if you, you, your parents are alive, you see them spending it on travel. Might be going to aged care to care for their needs. You might be wondering, am I included in the will or not? We don't like to talk about the inheritance. But God does when it comes to his. He is very upfront. He wants you to know what is coming and that you are part of it. The triune God wants you to share as part of his family everything that is rightfully his. And that is what heaven is. Sharing in what God has and he has everything. There was a lady who signed up to be a frequent flyer of an airline. And behind the scenes, something must have gone wrong where they ticked royalty, princess, attached to hers. And all of a sudden, she got the royal treatment, upgraded first class, first class lounge, all these things, no baggage limits, treated like royalty. Friends, when you become a child of God, you are treated like royalty. And it's not because of a technical error. It's because God has adopted you into his family. And said, so what's mine is yours, and we get treated far better than we deserve. I mean, you experience this world, right? And there's, it's part glorious and part ruin. But when you follow Jesus and you have the hope of eternal life, there is a world coming that is like this world, that it, but it's far more glorious because all the gunk and the brokenness is gone. As someone said, the best parts of this world are sneak peeks of the one to come. Because grace continues for all eternity. An abundant, undeserved life of generosity from God the Father. These are the ingredients, friends. The problem, the solution, the means, the results. And when you bite into it and experience God's grace again and again, he wants you to know what's involved. But what do we do now? In light of that, what do we do now? This is where verse 8 is a word for those of you who've trusted in God. Have a look. And I want you to stress these things, Paul says, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. 
You know, it's interesting, if you've ever experienced a hard time in life, whatever that may be, and an organisation comes and helps you, it's amazing how all of a sudden you become devoted to that organisation. Let's say, for example, you experience a natural disaster and it affects your home, and Red Cross come, and they help. You become a big fan of the Red Cross. Someone in your life is blind and they receive a guide dog, you become a massive advocate for the blind dogs, yeah? If you have someone in your family who has an organ failing, gets a transplant, you become a big supporter of them, yeah? Because when you've been impacted, all of a sudden you become devoted to them. And you volunteer and you give and you talk and you share. Friends, in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we've been impacted by his grace and we sit in it and never leave, all of a sudden we want to do what is good. We want to devote ourselves to doing what is good. If someone... If God has been generous to us, then we want to be generous to others. If God had loved me when I hurt him, then I can love those who hurt me. If God goes out of his way to show love, then I can show inconvenient love. We want to devote ourselves to doing what is good. That's our agenda. But if you're sitting there and you're thinking, look, I'm not a Christian. I'm a good person. I've you know, obviously been to church at least once. I attended Anglican school. I'm a loving person. But Deep down, you know when it comes to you and God, you're kind of holding on to these good things that you're doing, that you've done, thinking it'll make a difference. Thinking, if all else fails, if I stand before God, it'll be a bargaining chip. It won't work. You know that cookie that I received two weeks ago? I didn't make it. Didn't cost me anything. But I did have to receive it. And Jesus' grace for you, friends, is offered to you. You and I do not deserve it. We cannot earn it. It's all been done for you, but it is offered to you. And this is where faith comes in. Trust. Because faith comes with empty hands, with nothing in it and everything to receive. And I wonder whether this Sunday there is a prodding that a knocking on your heart that God is having for you to accept this beautiful gift of grace that Jesus offers to you. That Jesus did what you and I do not have to experience. He died and received the punishment for your sins. And perhaps this Sunday is a day where you want to receive this gift, this precious gift of grace, to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be born again, knowing he's already at work in your life. So I'm going to give you a moment to do that. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'll ask us all to close our eyes and to pray this prayer in the quietness of your own heart. I'm going to pray it line by line. And you can make this prayer your own if you feel that is where you're at. Let's close our eyes. Lord God, sorry I have sinned against you. And rejected you, God, over my life. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on that cross in my place. Making it possible to be friends with you. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. And please help me to live from this day forward with you as my Saviour and Lord.